Hey, home growers, Parker Curtis here from Homegrown Cannabis Co. Before Chronic gets into another awesome podcast, I have another free seed deal to let you guys know about over at Homegrown Cannabis Co. We're giving away four free lemon drizzle autoflower seeds with every order. The sought after indica heavy hybrid is the ultimate evening dessert, filling your mouth with sweet flavors before sending you to bed. So head over to homegrowncannabisco.com, fill your basket and use code lemons. That's L-E-M-O-N-S at checkout. I'll be back later with some more info on this delicious strain. Enjoy the show. What's up, you amazing viewers and those listening from Homegrown Cannabis Co.'s YouTube channel. Thanks for tuning in and be sure to follow along on whichever platform you amazing listeners are tuning in from. We really appreciate every view, like, and follow, and be sure to hit that follow button for our amazing guest today. I'm Chronic from the Cannabis Chronicles on Instagram and YouTube, and I'm your host. And I'm here with a brand new episode of some seriously amazing content with not only one grower but two that's right the dynamic duo the emeralds to the emerald cup nikki Lestretto and swami chaitanya thank you so much for coming on to the show i really really appreciate it i've been a massive fan for so many years i mean just big round of applause i think everyone is excited to have you here oh we're delighted to be here and talk to everybody yeah thanks so much chronic no problem. I really appreciate it. And uh, without further ado, we'll break into this. And I think the first thing I'm going to do is break into backstory. Before we go into backstory, I have a curiosity question about this year's Emerald Cup and what your favorite memory is from it or your most favorite smoke session. Well, we just last weekend had the final finals, which means that, you know, we have the initial uh, meeting was about two weeks before that, where we got 280 something samples to test out at home. And then the final one was last weekend when we got 19 judges together for two solid days of finding the actual winners in all these different categories, because there's lots of categories now. It's not just um, sun-grown flowers like it started. There's indoor and there's mixed light greenhouse and mixed light sun. And um, and then the categories that we don't judge, all those categories so of concentrates, many. topicals, edibles, all that sort of stuff. We just judge yeah. the flowers. But yeah, we had two weeks to kind of go through everything and then we met for the final weekend. To me, that was the highlight. Oh, yeah. The final weekend, oh, right? It was wild. Right, yeah. It was absolutely wild. I mean, it got to at the very last minute, the last you know five minutes of it was okay. Now that we've figured the, all of the things out, all the categories, what order they're going to go in within the flower division, all of that. Now we have to choose best to show, and I am not going to tell you who that was. I'm not leaking a bit of this information, <laughs> but I just want you to tell you the room exploded. It was so exciting. So you know, it was very. Exciting. No, people were shouting and screaming and so on and so forth. So, but we had a great deal of fun with all the 19 judges. Some of them were brand new this year, uh, so we had to kind of integrate them in, and that was great to get to know them. Others are back, uh, you know, third and fourth year and so on. So it was kind of a family, re well, not a family reunion, sort but of. it was basically a smokers reunion of people who just love, love, love cannabis and just want to smoke it and share it and talk about it all day long and in their sleep even in their dreams, you know. <laughs> <laughs> this that is our like a blast. Year. This is our 18th year of doing oh, this, wow. actually, which is uh, pretty awesome. We've yeah. smoked a lot of different uh, different cultivars out there. We certainly have. Yeah. yeah. And of course, the, the whole cup contest is 18 years also. We started in the very beginning with them. So it's quite a long running thing. And we're so honored and proud to be part of it. 
Uh, yeah, it was, and most of all, it's just really a lot of fun. And you know what? We get to smoke the best weed in the world uh, as much as we want and get to talk about it, you know, so. Yeah. Were there any points you might have uh, taken a little too rips for the little too many rips for the day, you know, judging? No, 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 no because no. all these judges are really dedicated, committed smokers. And you know what? When we have a break, we'd be judging and talking, and then we'd have a break for like 20 minutes, half an hour. You know what all the judges did during the breaks? <laughs> Went out and smoked their own. <laughs> That's awesome. That is amazing. So you guys are really truly living up to just the herbal lifestyle of just really inhaling the amazing uplifting smoke keeping you lifted 24 7 so that's awesome i i've always wanted to go to one of the emerald cups or just see um you know some of the flower in hand in person because i've seen all the pictures over the years and your guys post and it just looks like one of the most fun events to be a part of and just there look, looks to be like a lot of lively personalities and uh, spirits there so now that we kind of talked uh, about recent stuff happening let's go back in time and uh, let's go back way in time before you even found cannabis i want to know how nikki Lestretto and swami chaitanya actually found cannabis for the first time so whoever wants to answer you can go first ancient history you're talking about here really um okay i was uh 14 when i smoked my first joint i was born and raised in san francisco the right place at the right time to be a flower child lived very close to you know, Golden Gate Park, Haight Street, all of that stuff. I could just walk over there. Um, so I was kind of in the right place. And so when I was 14, I made a very conscious decision um, between becoming a nun or a hippie. And you can very clearly tell what one. And um, although I'm still spiritual, but just not quite like a nun, you know. Yeah. And um, and that was it. When I was 14, it was the first time <laughs> that I did it. So um and yeah, and, and actually, honestly, within about two weeks after that, I was probably selling my first lid, as we called them in those days, to my classmates or whoever, because that's the way I could make the money to buy my own, et cetera. Ten dollars for a three finger lid sort of thing it was. And um, and a couple of weeks after that, I did my first psychedelics. So it is a gateway drug, but it's a gateway to higher consciousness. That's what we like to say. Swami, what about you? Well, I, I was... Uh... I'm a little older than Nikki, and so I didn't start till I was actually 24 years old, not 14, right? Oh wow! And I'd already, you know, I'd already completed college. So what year was that? Graduate school. That was uh, 1967. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 1967. So that was the summer of love. I was uh, studying at the University of Wisconsin, and uh, came out in the summer of love in '67, and you know, just came out to San Francisco, hung out in the Haight, and so on. And uh, but I had smoked my first joint at the University of Wisconsin, uh, listening to some far out music. And, uh, you know, it was just that door opening, ear opening, eye opening, uh, taste buds opening uh, experience that uh, just would say, wow, let's just see where this goes. And uh, I guess I haven't stopped smoking uh, since then, basically, although sometimes I've been without. <laughs> well, sometimes yeah. we've been in countries, China or Mm. someplace where it's real kosher, Singapore or something. So we have taken breaks. Yeah, it's a nice little forced tolerance break for traveling. <laughs> so now let's uh, keep down this little uh, memory lane. And uh, when did Nikki and Swami actually meet? When did uh, this dynamic duo come together? And did cannabis have an impact in that? <laughs> uh, we met in 1969 
um, I was 14. And he was part of, Swami was part of, he was William then, first of all. And okay. he was a hippie. He was he was a very foxy, classic hippie guy with all the beads and, you know, the striped pants, the whole thing. But he was hanging out with a whole commune of very cool uh, hippie artists in San Francisco. And I met these guys and I just was wide-eyed and curious and hung out with all of them for several years. And that's when we met. And yeah, cannabis played a part just because that's kind of how you got to know people in the old days was you'd roll up a bunch of joints on a Saturday morning and go out into the streets and offer somebody, yeah, you want to get high with me? And then next thing you know, you'd be hanging out with their whole commune, you know, it's just how it happened. Yeah. And so it was um, 1969, but then we really got together again in, well, we stayed friends over all these years, but in 1980 is when we kind of re-met after I'd lived in India, he'd lived in India um, we'd both been to South America and places and we re-met and, um, that's when the sparks flew and about, yeah, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a long story after that. Let's just say we've been. Oh, okay. So there's a little history in this marriage. That's pretty, uh, well, marriages. That's pretty cool. Uh, no, that's an amazing story. And it just goes to show that relationships aren't easy, but they, uh, sometimes when you're meant to be, they stand through the test of time. So that's really awesome to hear the backstory. And I think it's awesome that you guys, uh, it sounds like you kind of had similar, um, travels, you know, going to India and kind of having similar, um, circumstances in life was there anything in india that you both shared experience wise during that time well we actually went travels to india together after that many times i went first i was i went to india i guess it was 1970 71 like that and i was working on a film at that time uh that uh, a fraternity brother of mine was making uh the film was called sunseed and it was about the very spiritual teachers in uh the united states at that time so we filmed uh very like yogi bhajan and swami Chachanananda and pier valaya and many many spiritual teachers who were active uh in in the early 70s and then we kind of went to India and various places to find their gurus, their teachers. So we were in Israel, we were in Iran before, while they still had a king or a shah, right? And uh, then we went to India and Nepal and, and you know, filmed some Buddhists and so on. So it was kind of this movie, Sunseed, was like an encyclopedia of various different religious uh, Eastern religions that were coming uh, to the United States and and also Europe and, uh, and mobilizing a whole lot of young people to realize spirituality in a non-traditional Christian way, uh, but in a more universal way. But then Swami's second trip was overland and my first trip was also overland, which was possible in those days. You overland know? from London, more yeah. or less. Or Mine was actually overland from San Francisco. Well, I, you went on water, too. I had to go on water, <laughs> overland and over water. But um, it was possible in those days, of course, to go through Iran, to hang out in Afghanistan. You went on a Russian ship, right? Well, yeah, that was that got me to Europe. <laughs> but, you know, and then after that, it was, you know, buses and bullet carts and whatever you could get to get across the entire yeah, yeah. part of that world to get to India. And Afghanistan, I spent quite a bit of time there. Um, and Swami spent some time there, too. And that was hands down the best hashish in the world. Mm. No question oh, about it. Wow. And um, and that was great because it was still really like Arabian Nights at those days. Yeah. It was before the Russians, before anybody came in. It was great. And then, um, yeah, so I'd say that when what we both shared was a, um, a spiritual quest, I would say, that we both found in India. 
Um, you know, I'd been raised very Catholic, as I said, I was considering being a nun. Um, and and basically, I got really bored with Catholicism when they changed the whole thing and brought it, made it English, and the nuns took off their habits. All these things changed. And when we went to India, it was still that mystery and that magic, and um, just the incense and these ancient temples and. Amazing. Well, also, and it's then amazing. All the chants in the temples are from ancient Sanskrit, and these chants mm-hmm. haven't changed for centuries, thousands of years, and so on. So, yeah, when I also went uh, overland, I, you know, uh, flew to London and then, uh, you know, ferry boat across and then hitchhiked and so on across Europe. And by the time I got to India, I think I'd used almost every mode of transportation. Yeah. You know, exactly. horse cart, uh, no, camel, totally. uh, you know, I, I didn't do canoe, basically, but, you know, uh, or covered wagon, but it was like railroad, train, bus, car, everything, you know, so. And then, of course, along the way, we were smoking, you know, the hash a lot, because it's mostly hashish over in that part of the world. So there was, um, we, we were always doing that as well, and, and finding it just growing wild. You know, in India, cannabis grows just wild. It's a weed there and and people grow it mostly for the seeds so that they can eat the seeds for protein and then they make the hash they rub the hash from the plants that have the seeds it does it makes fine hash so it's it really literally people have it up in the mountains in their backyard well, it's very much part of their growing. culture all the way as soon as you get to afghanistan it's so much part of their culture it's first of all a money-making proposition for the farmers but also in india it's got a spiritual tradition you know there's a famous uh, a god of India, Shiva, who's the god of yoga and dance and so on, and he's uh, he's he he drinks um, cannabis smoothies, right? That's yep. his main bong. thing is uh, cannabis smoothies, bong, right? And so you know that's an ancient tradition uh, in India, and they have festivals uh, several times a year where the whole village will drink this bong, uh, or they make pastries out of uh, cannabis butter and so on, and and the whole town gets stoned, and it's really pretty an amazing uh, experience. <laughs> I actually love that you mentioned that because on the history of cannabis episode, I actually talk about the story of Shiva where he gets into the fight with his parents and goes off to the mountains and falls asleep under the ganja plant wakes up smells it and realizes like that's um this wonderful plant that he wants to create you know yoga as a practice with to go with it's a beautiful story and i love the spirituality of it i i'm beyond blown away just living through your guys's stories of what um it sounds like it was i mean what was just walking through afghanistan like compared to now um i mean what was the feelings like what what were you seeing buildings wise what was the atmosphere like in culture during that time period and like I say, it was like Arabian Nights. I mean, it had bazaars that um, just were step back in time. There were no cars. You know? Put and it that very way. Few there cars. almost no, no cars. But the cars that were there were really old American cars. Or old uh, yeah. Land Rovers and yeah. like that. But there many. were camels, horses, horse carts, and so on, and people walked. And, and then, no trains in Afghanistan either. No trains. Yeah. And and beautiful mosques, gigantic mosques would be the center of the village. But almost everything was built out of adobe, unless you were in Kabul, the capital, right? But mm-hmm. all the outer towns, everything was that mud brick adobe. Uh, although in the, in the mosques, they had beautiful blue tile work and so on. Uh, and, you know, everything was really just as if it were like three 
or 400 years old and that and the people likewise they now the women were totally covered yeah mm -hmm. totally covered they had these black or dark dark green things went all the way head to to the ground Burka. but but they would have these little plaid you know visor things that, so mm -hmm. they could see out and so on and it was just, uh, but, but I have to tell you something about these women because no. I spent a night in jail in Afghanistan that was a highlight of my life. Oh, I got to hear the jail story too. Yeah, because they're they're like you know they're all with other women, so they don't have to wear any of that. And they were running around in mini skirts and makeup and, and whatever they could do. They were actually having more fun in jail than they were at home with their husbands. Let me tell you that. And and most of them were in there for killing their husbands. I found out later. So, so, so there was no little, husband at home. Little intense, <laughs> yeah, but they yeah. would bring their kids with them to jail they had the kids there it was it was wild it was wild and then you know to get to india we had to travel overland through the khyber pass the famous khyber oh. pass that um where the british really lost it when they tried to invade afghanistan and that at the top of the khyber pass was this little town called landi kotal and that it wasn't even a town it was really just a bazaar just out of, again, out of, it could have been 500 years ago, except at these stalls, they had these funky little stalls and they were either selling basically drugs, probably hashish or opium, um, or guns. But the guns at that time were all old British Enfield rifles. They didn't have any of this new stuff that was brought in by the Russians or the Americans. Very simple old Enfield rifles that the British that they probably gotten off of the British when they kicked them out, you know. So it was, it was well, an but, experience. But the whole culture there does have hashish. When I was coming across by bus from Tehran in Iran into Afghanistan, and we got into the uh, immigration customs compound at night. So uh, we spent the night, and then in the morning we went through customs. But as I'm sitting there waiting to go through customs. Four people offer me hashish to sell right there, right, you know, right in front of everybody. It's like, it's just really part of the culture. Oh, and my, how about my district attorney in Kabul? Because I did have to go through the whole process of, you know, getting my passport back to leave the country. And um, my district attorney, I became friends with him. And over supper one night, he made it very clear that, you know, he could stuff some dolls with hashish and send them back to me in America. And we could might as well set up a business. I'm like, I don't think so, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so eventually on my first trip, I made it all the way to Nepal and went back. And so I stayed in Nepal at one point for about say, almost two months. And there you had a government hashish, a government ga cannabis store, uh, ganja. And they would sell medicine made from cannabis and they would sell, you know, flour. And they also sold hashish right from the government store. Uh, and so it was like, it was just part of the thing. And then the local peasants, they also would grow cannabis and they would bring in uh, this uh, thing about the size of a hot dog roll, but it'll be wrapped in a corn husk and like a burrito, right? Not a burrito, like an, uh, tamale. a tamale, tamale, right? Yeah. And so you'd take off the corn husk all over it. And then instead of a tamale, it's this big chunk of hashish. Uh, the size of, of a hot dog roll and it would cost you what 10 12 dollars oh, no, or something even. like that in, in local currency yeah not even no. no it was amazing yeah exactly and then in india even to this day they do have in the very holy cities that have major temples you'll often find a these little stores that they have and you can get um flowers you can get the cannabis flowers are not very good in india really the hash is better or they'd have they have what they call ghoulies and a ghoulie is like a, 
a little candy is kind of would be an edible, you know, mm. it tastes horrible, but they make them there. And, but they, and then under the counter, I think you can get just about anything you want as well, you know, cause it's India, but yeah. they still have those. They're still there. Yeah. Well, stores. they're little, they're little spheres like uh, gumballs or something like that. The goalies that are, but they're cannabis medicine, you know? Uh, yeah. And it's just part of ancient, ancient tradition. And of course, like you said, the uh, God Shiva, uh, smokes his bong and, uh, so on and does his dance dance of the universe um but yeah that was part no, he of he doesn't smoke a bong he eats drinks bong he, he didn't have a bong yeah. i don't think he had a bong back then. <laughs> i could be wrong you can make a good bong out of a, can a coconut actually yeah they've they've found some ancient bongs you know what i mean archaeologists have pulled out some ancient uh pipes and things like that so you never know but uh i love these stories and it really sounds like it was a a completely different world back then i mean how was it like compared stepping out of that world and then coming back to the U.S. with the laws and restrictions that were starting to happen throughout the 70s and 80s? I always felt that coming back from India or Afghanistan, the biggest culture shock was coming home. It was. Yeah. And it was like you acclimatized to where you've been and, and you, you got used to being the minority, the only one who was the white color, the only one wearing Western clothes and so on and so on, the only one who didn't speak the language. But you, what it did is it opened up your psychic abilities. So you had to interpret life through gesture and posture and things like that. And so it wasn't like, so you had to really tune in your, your, your sixth sense about what was cool and so on. And so it was really a consciousness raising thing to, to be that. But anyway, when we were there in Afghanistan, like you said, there was still a Shah and it was the early days of the Indian uh, democracy. There's a king in Afghanistan. Oh, no, but no, but he was a Shah also. No, 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 no. He was a Shah was in Iran. The king All was right. in Afghanistan. So we always correct each other when these little <laughs> details are saying right. Because but no, I, I was an editor for years at a newspaper. But there was a king in I can't Nepal. Help myself. There was a king in Nepal. But now yeah. there's not a king in Nepal anymore. There was a king in, yeah. there was a king in Nepal, and uh, we had a parliament and so on. I can't help myself. I'm sorry. <laughs> No, this is amazing. I love this. This is so great. This is wonderful. And it's great because, you know, coming from someone who is, I've never gotten to travel out of the country and I've tried to follow cannabis through various people's stories, but it's really getting, I mean, it's amazing to hear these uh, actual hands-on stories and hear the tales of hash or just like what prices were like or what the culture was like in these other, um, you know, countries that you guys got to visit and you got to experience and live through their culture. Now, coming back um, towards the 70s and 80s back in America, what was it like finally establishing your life here and uh, the laws and repercussions getting heavier? Did you guys face any low points during the cannabis involvement here? Um, was your involvement in growing immediate when you got back here or was there so some time in between with traveling? There, there was definitely time in between because we went back and actually spent a lot more time in Asia in uh, starting in the late 18, uh, 1980s and most of the not a lot of the 90s. Um, okay. However, in between that, uh, yeah, Swami grew his first crop in San Francisco on the side of Telegraph Hill, right in the heart of the city. 77? 77, 78, I grew like 20 plants right there in my backyard. From my yard, you could see the Transamerica building and the Bank of America building, but it was a beautiful southern slope, southern face. So I grew some pretty pretty good weed there, and uh, that's where I first started started growing. But yeah. you have to understand that cannabis was so much a part of the hippie culture, 
And uh, I've told this story many times, but uh, I had a light show at the time, and we would do light shows at, at uh, Family Dog on the Great Highway and various places all over. And then uh, as a light show, I had all these boxes of projectors and slides and so on. So we connected up with these dealers, and then we would empty out all our boxes and fill them with kilos of Mexican weed. So we would been, bring the same boxes into our, into our Dodge van and drive them. And then we, we were like what they called a holding company where we would have, you know, 20 kilos of hash in our house at any time and maybe a thousand hits of acid or something like that. And uh, so, uh, you know, <laughs> and then yeah. so we had to, we, we charged a fee for this storage service, this, uh, you know, holding company. And so we drove every morning we rolled up maybe 20 joints, just like Nikki said. And we and you know so they and eventually they said you're smoking too much dope so they moved all of our stuff out but we would we would roll up joints and just go around all day and pick up hitchhikers and share joints and trip down to the ocean or Golden Gate Park I mean we were just really yeah flying pretty high and uh, in, in the 1980s um, we were there pretty much in we we did some traveling but we were pretty much in San Francisco that's when I was working at the San Francisco Chronicle and um, Doing a lot of dealing on the side. I did a lot of dealing. So you guys pretty much helped aid to the movement of of just like the pushing of um, what would they call it? Mexican brickweed back in the day. You guys really helped push that back then. There was a lot of Mexican well, yeah, brickweed. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, later, later 80s and then of course in the 90s I was dealing a lot of weed from up here in Mendocino County. Yeah. And okay. those were like, that's when they were four to $500 an ounce. Yeah, yeah. I mean, an ounce. People can't even get that for a pound these days sometimes. Yeah. But before that, when, was. when we were doing the Mexican weed, as you said, they would come in bricks and they might be wrapped in some sort of wrapping and you know, green or red cellophane around it. And then just about two years ago, we met the guy who used to smuggle that and bring it in. Right. No so way. This That's guy, interesting. Uh, Rick Vivero and he Rivero and he uh, he wrote this book called 90 Degrees to Zimbabwe, talking about sailing Thai weed from Thailand, smuggling uh, weed from Mexico and so on and so forth. And I'm reading this book and I say. Oh, yeah, that's the same bricks that we used to get and break up and, and sell in ounces and quarters, right? And so, like, 50 years later, you know, we kind of well, connect because I'd never met them before, right? We just got these bricks. They were kilos, right? And a kilo in those days would be, like, maybe 150, 200 pounds for a kilo of, bri of Mexican brick. Dollars, you mean? Yeah, $200. Yeah, yeah. no, pounds. We're not in England. We're not in England. <laughs> For, for a, a kilo, yeah, right. So that's a hundred dollars a pound, or more or less. And then, uh, but it was full of sticks and oh, seeds yeah. and stems and so on. So you had to always take out the seeds uh, on a record jacket or a shoebox or something like that. So, so it was great. And um, you know, when then we went and we lived in India for many years. But um, when we when I came back first, um, and Swami stayed over. That's when William became Swami another part of his life there. And, um, and I moved back here and that's, that's when I started getting up here to Mendocino and kind of changing over from being, you know, ouncing it out to actually growing it. And that was a different situation. So, um, and I, I basically came up here because I was putting on psychedelic trance parties I was producing and I really needed an outdoor space to do where I could do you know, all weekend long camp out psychedelic trance parties, which is what we used to do in Goa and in India where we lived for many years. And um, 
that's how I met Tim Blake, who runs the Emerald Cup and started oh, the Emerald okay. Cup because Tim had a piece of land and a mutual friend introduced us. And I came up here to put on parties and I started learning about, you know, the whole um, business from this point of view instead of just being on the street selling it. And uh, that's that's kind of how I started getting really settled in up here. And then but, Swami but you, came back from India. And that's but how you were we also trimming here. a lot because yeah, we, ha we had all these gay here. friends in San Francisco that had indoor grows. And, of course, oh, okay. the, the whole community was very much into, into cannabis because of the AIDS. It really made everything so much easier for AIDS. Yeah. So an awful lot of indoor growers were happening. And one of our friends that we knew from Goa, and Nikki started trimming there for them, and then it came up to Mendo and so on. In the meantime, I was mostly staying up in India year-round, uh, living up in a tiny little house up in the Himalayas and meditating five, four, four times a day and hanging out with various teachers and so on. Uh, and traveling around and prior to becoming Swami, I, I'd been a photographer and I would travel all over India, Nick and I together, and we'd go visit all these different temples and I'd photograph the temples and we'd talk to the priests and the Babas and the yogis and all of that sort of thing. So it was like kind of a total immersion for many years. Uh, and then finally, uh, I just said, okay, I'm going for it a hundred percent. And Nikki came back to San Francisco and I went up in the mountains and just, meditated and meditated and then i took initiation at the kumbh mela in uh, 1998 and in hardwar and became uh, swami chaitanya at that point oh wow and, that's uh, amazing then, yeah well that's yeah. that's another kind of story that has some mystical implications too but then uh and then uh at one point we t i was with uh, my guru and nikki was there too and he kind of sent us back to the united states he sent me back to help Nikki, uh, and so he sent us back here to create a sanctuary uh, and uh, you know just bring that spiritual energy up to Northern California. So now, was that during the time that Nikki, you had a farm at this time, or you do you have your own land at this time? We no, got the farm. Well, no, at that before that, I was like I said, producing these big psychedelic trance rave parties, and. Yeah. Um, I mean, I did it because I love the music, I love the scene, but I also did it because it was a venue for me to create giant altars. So again, this was the spirituality thing coming on. All these years of living around the world, um, I'd been collecting statues and all kinds of things that represented different traditions from around the world. And Sacred statues, I mean, I've, but I, holy I, statues. I guess you could say I've got an icon addiction. You know, I kind of just really got into it. And and I, they started out with small little statues, and then they get bigger and bigger. And when it got up to the one-ton solid stone granite statues, it was like, okay, I can't take these up the stairs at our apartment in San Francisco anymore. <laughs> so um, we really need some land. And that is when I went over to India. I was visiting with Swami. We saw our teacher there. And he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm, I really want to create this sanctuary. He says, you go now and you can take him with you. And, um, and we found this magical, magical piece of land that was right very close to where Tim Blake has his place we're just up the hill from that and the whole emerald cup scene so we're all right in the heart of mendocino county here and um and then the big statues came over on ships from india and and we also installed a lot of statues down at the place where the emerald cup began uh where oh. tim blake has his place it's called area 101 quite a famous place in cannabis history and but so now we we do have a sanctuary we really did truly get this land to create a sanctuary not necessarily to just grow weed 
we wanted a place to be able to do this. And so we've installed all these you know, beautiful statues here in the trees and built temples and all of that stuff. But we obviously had to eat. So we grew weed and we started growing weed here in 2004 at our land when we bought it in 2003. Our first crop was 2004. And um, it's just gotten better every year because we learn more and more. So now that we're growing with complete regenerative techniques and style where when we started out it wasn't necessarily like that but now we've really learned how mm. to do it correctly well actually the first stuff we grew up here was always organic it was always organic. Right? well i when i grew in the city in 1977 78 i did i had no no idea how to grow pretty much anything so cannabis taught me to grow but in those first years i would use miracle grow i should never <laughs> uh, yeah. that but you know what miracle Growers, right. So, but for me, it was like a revelation. Plants need food. What? Who told you that? Right. And so then all of a sudden, you, and so now we progressed. So when we started growing here, everything was always organic inputs. But now, as Nikki was saying, we moved beyond that to have uh, more re uh, regenerative uh, methodology. So we try and source a lot of things from our own ranch uh, and from our immediate neighbors and so on. Like, for example, we, we need manure for our cannabis which is, you know, it's an organic input. So the guy up the top of the hill, he has alpacas. Mm, that's perfect. So alpaca poop, which apparently is very, very good for, for uh, manure for cannabis. And so we mix that in. And so it's like part of our local environment here uh, from those. And, uh, you know, we use uh, wood chips and leaves and branches and uh, have our own compost pile and, you know, worm castings and all that sort of stuff. So that's what goes in. Uh, so they're all natural uh, ingredients. And that's amazing because I love that you guys have transitioned to what we're talking about now. So you've pretty much come back from India. You've purchased this wonderful sanctuary. You started uh, growing in around 2004, I believe you said. And now what was that feeling like germinating your first seeds after all those years? And let us know the actual process that you guys go through your germination process because it is quite a spiritual process from what I understand and you use very specific water. This is incredibly timely because just um, just this week we put our seeds into water to crack them, as it's called. And just yesterday they started going into little pots outside into soil. But actually, I want to. The first time that I, that we grew up here, we didn't start from seeds. Uh, we had all these friends who lived up there, and we'd actually come and visit them and worked on their farms in the past. So they gave us what they call starts, and they'd be about maybe two feet high, 18 inches high. And that was my friend, and he said, hey, Swami, you really should grow some weed. And I said, well, okay, might as well. So he gave me like 30 starts that had already been declared female. And so that was our very first crop. And I think we got about a pound of plant. And a friend of mine said, oh, here's a list of things you can put in, you know. And I said, what is all this stuff? He says, I don't know, but they say it's good, right? So I just got this list and I went down and I said, I went to the uh, the local nursery and they just had all these little five pound bags of things. And I said, okay, I'll take one of those, one of those, one of those, one of those, throw them all in and so on. And it all turned out to be kind of the right stuff. But that was like the very first level, but that was all now natural and organic or naturally mined stuff, right? And then over time, we've just learned more and more about uh, regenerative growing. So now, uh, now our, uh, we grow in the ground. 
right? And that's the native soil. And we only, you know, we all these organic ingredients that we put in, and we have the soil tested and uh, and so on. Uh, but the, what we do when we start the seeds. It's a process where, first of all, we have to go through a whole, which seeds are we going to grow, right? And do we want some more fuely, gassy? Do we want a lot of fruity, floral? What is it we want? Right. So we get a spectrum, right? And then we also choose some that come in early and come in late so that we can spread the harvest out over, over a bunch of time so we don't get too wasted, you know, cutting plants. So then, uh, you know, the way we crack the seeds is we put the seeds one. Once we select them on the lap of the goddess of cannabis, Ganjama, right? And she's the goddess. See, the goddess in India transforms and takes many, many different shapes and guises. And in some places in India, they even worship the Virgin Mary as as one of the you know forms of the goddess. And then there's Saraswati and Vish, uh, Lakshmi and uh, Durga and, and Parvati and all these things. So so the goddess takes many forms. And so she showed up here on our ranch as the goddess of cannabis, Ganjama, right? So we have these statues of her from India uh, of these five noble materials, right? It's gold and silver and copper and brass and lead, right? Something zinc. like that. You forgot about zinc. Uh, zinc, okay. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, this is the copper sacred metals, and they form these beautiful statues of the gods and goddesses. So we have a statue of Ganjama, the goddess, and so the seeds sit at her feet you know, for a moon cycle. And then also uh, a, a, a mantra was revealed, a special cannabis mantra, Om Aim Hrim Klim Shrim Ganjamaye Nama. And that mantra is to vitalize the seeds with the energy of the goddess, right? And then once they we're ready to crack them, as Nikki said on Monday, we took all these jars and we put some water in and then we took a couple of drops of water from the sacred Ganges River, right? that comes from India and the legend is that the river water in the Ganges isn't really water it's actually the elixir of immortality <laughs> no less no less right but that water is that water in general without water there's no life of course without sunlight there's no life either it's on but water is that crucial ingredient that brings everything to life and so the water is the elixir of immortality, and that's got basically the, the life force itself in the water. So all every little bottle of seeds gets a couple of drops of that. And then we take the seeds, we chant the uh, chant, and when they crack, then we put them into little pots of soil. And once again, they get, once they're tucked in, they get a drop of Ganges water and, and the mantra and so on. So basically it sets the intention that this is, uh, uh, healing. It's a physical healing, an emotional healing, a spiritual healing, and it's an inspiration, right? It's an inspiration for your physicality, for, for your creativity, and, and connecting to the plant world. See, the, the cannabis is our doorway into the plant world, just like mushrooms help us get into that world, right? And so these are gateways. That, now, we understand that, that plants have consciousness, right? Mm -hmm. And we have cannabinoids in us, and we have, you know, our hemoglobin, blood, red blood is the same as chlorophyll. It's just that one has ma uh, manganese and the other has iron. So we're so close to plants. But the cannabis hey, opens the door because we have cannabis within us and it grows out and so on. So that, that's the key to the spirituality. And likewise, our garden is set in a way that we use sacred geometry 
and the layout of the garden and that sacred geometry is aligned north, south, east, west. And then we crack the seeds on a, uh, on a waxing moon in a fertile sign after the equinox. So we're all trying to coordinate our cycles with the growing, with the cycles of the earth, spring and fall, with the rotation of the earth, north, south, east and west, and with the whole way in which all the plants are opening a consciousness to us that, you know, we are universal in our consciousness, not just not just animals, but plants and animals and fungi and bacteria. And look, we're even uh, we're even related to viruses, you know, because there are good viruses that ha are part of our makeup that we have viruses in us that are good ones. Right. So mm -hmm. that chain of consciousness from viruses to angelic. And we're in the middle of that chain. I, I can listen to you talk for hours because I, I'm the same way. I've always felt like plants are connected. And whenever people ask me who don't grow or cultivate anything, they always say, what do you mean a plant has energy? And it's like, well, you can feel them. You're connected. And, and that's, I mean, it's just really amazing hearing you say everything um, on the aspect of the spiritual um, awakening that's happening for a person when it comes to their own spiritualism, their emotional state, and just uh, mental or physical state when it comes to growing. And the way you guys are doing it, you're making it such a, a spiritual experience for yourselves. I'm sure it's connecting you to the earth even more every time you step into your garden or you're pruning your plants or you're getting to, um, you know, go cultivate and handle your lovely ladies. And now, that brings my, me to my next question. Um, what has it been like to openly cultivate and um, pretty much be everything you've ever wanted in your sanctuary and the Emerald Triangle? Has it been um, completely different than living anywhere else in your guys' life? Was it um, a big shell shock kind of moving back to California? Or has, the, has your um, sanctuary been everything you guys have dreamed of so far? Um, I would say it has. I mean, in a way, it I kind of wish we had a little more time for meditation retreats, that sort of thing. But honestly, the project of growing legal cannabis is a more than 24-7 job. Um, and it's not necessarily the part about growing the plants. That part comes naturally as God intended. That happens. It's the business. It's the laws. It's the regulations. It's the compliance. It's all of that. The taxes. That is very, very <laughs> taxing and it takes a lot so um that you know when we moved up here we weren't expecting that we knew it would be legal at some point but we had no idea how and we didn't quite realize california would make such a mess of things either um yeah. we we did vote for proposition 64 for myself it was purely because i wanted people to have access to medicine that wouldn't get it otherwise if it wasn't legal and i wanted um people to get out of jail and that's what I voted it for, even knowing it would make life harder on us because that just had to happen. And it had to be the first step forward. And, and you know, it's going to get better and better. We have faith in that, that it's just going to be more and more accepted. The stigmas are going to drop away. Um, it's something we work on a lot with all of our social media and education that we put out there to try to change those perceptions. So, I mean, cannabis has become our life more than ever, I would say. I mean, it's always been there, but now it's really there. And um, yeah, it's very, very important in our lives. Well, the other thing that happened when we moved up here is that uh, we found, uh, or we, we, we became part of, or a community, I'm talking about a community, and it evolved over time. And there are people 
here who are you know second and third generation growers from up in the mountains and we've known those people for a long time and we met a lot of new people people started to come up here after 1996 when it started to be semi-legal and so on so what's happened is that we now have a huge number of friends who are the cannabis community of the emerald triangle and actually all over the state right and because we've been doing being politically active and board of supervisors and conventions and all that sort of thing we now have friends all over the cannabis community and there's something about most of the people that we know who are all small entrepreneurs or small farmers or small businesses opening up there's such a such a dimension of the heart you know of of being in it together of sharing and that kind of goes back to the time of when it was illegal because we had a secret society an underground society and it was all based on trust right and you trusted people because at that time there were no bank accounts or there were no credit cards. Every police officer in the country was trying to bust you. So there was this total secret society and people would do, you know, $100,000 million deals on a handshake, right? Now, stuff happened. Of course, stuff happened. But still, it was all we had to protect each other, right? And the other thing is everyone had equal shared risk. You as a smoker with one joint could go to jail just as long as I could if I had 50 pounds or if I was a grower or whatever it was, right? So everybody had this shared risk and there was this sort of, you know, kind of cool, you know, far out, you know, hip, crazy thing of being in the secret society. And yet, what was the, what was the glue and what was the thing? It was the cannabis. But we still have a shared risk. Even the yeah. bung legal growers, we still yeah. have a shared risk. But the consumer doesn't have that risk. No, the so consumer much. doesn't, but the That's growers the certainly do. The growers and also and all the businesses. All the businesses, the, the retailers and the distributors, they have a shared risk. And you know what that risk is? There's still marijuana rustlers and thieves out there, mm. but the biggest risk, mm. the biggest risk is still getting busted by the state. <laughs> so what we call it is it's it's persecution through legalization. Right. And penalizing through regulation. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're still out to get us. It's still as illegal as it's ever been because of all these regulations. Right. Yeah. And so people aren't yeah. going to jail for violating the regulations, but they're getting fined sometimes ten thousand dollars a day for each violation. And so that puts people out of business or it sends them back into the clandestine illegal market. Right. And so in some ways, a lot of those people are still making good money. Yeah, it's just not adding to the whole legalization fight because it creates that whole black market need because the laws aren't really helpful or for the home grower. So I totally, completely agree with what you guys are saying. And I love your input. I think it's amazing. And it's so... It's so interesting hearing, um, you know, after talking with Kyle, talking with the Dink Duchess and Eric Brandstad and now you two, just getting to hear all the different perspectives through the years of, of people growing up in various places with cannabis. It is absolutely phenomenal to see where we are at today, even though it's not perfect. But like you you, you two said, it's it's about being active. Um, it's about being a part of those board boards that you guys are a part of. It's about making um, you know actual moves in the industry or being proactive on, in your own life to change the minds of you know the masses. Whether it's having a joint with someone or introducing cannabis to someone in a in a positive manner and breaking the stigma. So I, I really love all the input um, you guys have gave there and that leads me to my next question for the two of you. You know, let's give uh, some of these listeners some advice um, since you've dropped so much already. Um, 
if someone was to buy their first piece of property and they were gonna do step one for a cannabis ranch, what would your first step be um, to get them started on their ranch for um, growing cannabis in the ground? Legally or illegally? Legally. <laughs> we could talk maybe uh, illegally after. And if they're doing it legally for commercial use or for personal use? Uh, let's talk personal use because this is more for home growers. Okay, exactly. Good. So legally personal use, the first thing they would do is contact their county and find out what the regulations are about how much they can grow specifically because every county is different. So once they got that established. Well, also where they can grow because yeah. the county has restrictions on what zones you can do. How, Like here in Mendocino, you have to have a minimum of 10 acres. Before well, but that. not to do your six plants. If right. you're doing your six legal well, true, or your hundred square foot uh, legal amount in Mendocino County, um, you know you can do that on a deck in you in the towns, or yeah. you can do it out here in the country in your garden. But some counties but, require you to do it indoors, so you always uh, want to check yes, particular yeah. legalizations, and then you want to check if you're in an apartment building or in a complex. What's the owner? What's the landlord? What's the, what you know? What's all cool now? You know, it's because you don't want to irritate your neighbors. For sure, because right, right. they will then get on your case. Right? Yeah, and and then I think the next thing is to really, you know, consult homegrown company, seed company, to find out what seed you want. You know, really consider that what it is you want, and give it thought, give it real thought, and then to figure out, you know, if you can grow directly in the soil, fantastic. If it's your very first year, might be better trying to start it off in a pot of some sort just to get a feel for it and figure out what kind of nutrients you want to put in your soil to build your soil up. All of these things would be the yeah. most important. Well, yeah. also, you know, go to the homegrown website and that's where Nikki and I have this whole uh, story and, and videos about how to grow, right? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and of course, there are many other things. Uh, we write for other magazines too. So there are a lot of places. And of course, nowadays, you can just Google anything, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, like, and there are many different ways, but, you know, what we would like to have people start to understand and practice is start start to begin with with everything organic, right? Mm. That's the first mm -hmm. place. But now organic, there's awful lot of things which are called organic and they might be a gallon jug on the shelf and you pour it in and so on. So if you want to start there, that's okay. But I think we need to actually as a, as a group of people who are aware of the planet and, and environmental things, even in your little personal cannabis grow, you can move toward regenerative farming. And the key to that is what we call living soil, right? Mm -hmm. And once I start to realize, and this actually is only like three or four years ago, I start to realize that down in the soil, it's alive, right? And there's a whole universe down below the surface, right? And that universe starts with microscopic bacteria and then fungi and arthropods and nematodes and amoebas and paramecians and all those things you studied in sophomore biology in high school, right? And so all that stuff is living in the ground. And it's alive and it's interdependent, right? So, you know, something eats the bacteria and the bacteria eats something else and something dies and sheds and all these things. So everything is interrelated in the soil. And if you start put a lot of uh, powdered and canned and chemical fertilizers in there, you tend to kill the living organism in the soil and, and you destroy the balance and the interconnectedness, right? So as you start growing, yeah, start organic, but then start keeping doing your, your Google research on regenerative farming and so in your backyard if you have a little room you can make a compost pile 
And then all you need is like a five-gallon bucket to start a worm bin, right? And so you save your compost from the kitchen and you feed the worm bin, you feed your compost pile and so on. And then even more important is you have to learn how to conserve water, mm. right? Especially now in our drought situation, right? And so there are all sorts of techniques of, of you know, conserving water on, on your plants. And you well, want and to research And that's that. actually something because, you know, the homegrown growers are not only in California. You, some of you live maybe in, you know, someplace that's more tropical of a climate. Mm -hmm. And that's going to require a whole different way of growing. So right. you'd really want to check that out because right. you're going to get lots of rain in the summertime. So how do you deal with that? So it's really to consider yeah. your weather patterns in your area. Or, or if you live really in a northern climate, then you're going to want like an auto flowering seed that, you know, yeah. has, a, you know, you know, flowers after a limited total number of days after after it starts. So, you know, there are a lot of considerations, but like I say, there's an awful lot of information, some of it conflicting, right? But yeah. I think what you want to do is aim toward regenerative and recycling things and regenerating because that's what we need for all of agriculture, not just cannabis growing, right? So that's what we need to revitalize the soil on the planet. And that that's what we need to do. I love that answer. I think those are amazing answers because uh, I've, try to preach more regenerative farming, less waste, you know, on um, the podcast, just talking to people about, you know, you can get your own composters, do compost piles. It's something that Parker, Curtis, and um, Kyle Cushman have worked on in various episodes. So I love that just everyone lately in the community um, of cannabis and all you educators and every pretty much the guys and gals in the limelight that everyone idolizes, are screaming at the top of their lungs regenerative farming because it really does make a difference, especially on once you get to commercial scales, the amount of waste is absolutely unreal. So I definitely agree with the um, uh, regenerative farming. And that brings me to, we're gonna have about two or three more questions and we'll wrap this up. And, and one of the last questions I wanna uh, know about is what's an ongoing problem or pest issue or anything that you guys seem to see once yearly, every other year or every few years that comes back to just make you pull hair out of your head and frustrate you? Is there any sort of problems that you guys see yourself handling yearly or do they change with every year? They do change with every year. Yeah. I'd say one thing that we have that might be a Obviously, someone in the city is not going to have this problem. We've discovered that um, we have a lot of very, uh, very old and tall and original growth dug fir and oak trees here on our property, which are beautiful, but their roots get very large. And their roots can go so far that they stretch into our gardens and start sucking out nutrients. So this is something we've discovered that we have to deal yeah. with. Well, then it's not just that they take the water and the nutrients, but they also put out uh, tannins and acids. And so when you look under an oak tree or a dug fir tree, very few other things grow under there other than oak and dug fir because of these the pollen and the uh, and the uh, tannins and acids they put out that prevent other things from growing. So you want to locate your garden, you know, somewhat respectable distance from those, right? Um, the other thing that's always a problem is water, whether a water line breaks or they put mm. new restrictions because of drought or whatever it is, those are those are recurring problems. But as Nikki hinted at, this year's problem is not going to be the one we solved last year, right? It's always different. It's always a kind of a new problem. And, oh, and, and even with pests, it's often different things. Yeah. We've had issues with squirrels here digging into our plants, um, you know, eating the roots and all um, mice where there's, you know, we, we don't have, you know, every place has its own unique pest situation, right, it seems. Right. 
and so, mildew is yeah. always a problem and there's you know yeah. all these other things mites and uh root aphids and all those sorts of things so because in the end it's farming right mm-hmm. and we yeah. have the same emissions that we face as every other farmer faces plus it being all this legal stuff around it and political stuff around it <laughs> right so anyway what you have to do you have to be flexible and realize that basically every day the farm takes precedence whatever the whatever the fl- plants need that's what you have to tend to and everything else has to rearrange itself around that um and then there's also just, you know, dealing with your team members who are, you know, helping you with all the work, just how to keep them happy and inspired and uh, and so on. Uh, and, you know, it's just it's part it's life. It's life itself, you know. And the other thing is you're dealing with a living entity, of a, a, a plant, which is life itself. Right. And so on. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with that. I love it because we like give our plants names and we always call them our girls and everything. So we, we definitely look at them like our little plant babies and everything like that. So I love that you say it is life because I try to teach people that because it, it teaches you so much um, spiritual knowledge within yourself and it, and it can bring so much happiness and um, uh, teaching you love for an appreciation for life that's smaller than your own. So that's one thing that I always love when I hear um, fellow cultivators and i mean i just love listening to you guys just talk honestly i could sit and listen for hours so it's been amazing we got two more questions and this last question is a fun one for swami swami i think the world wants to know how long it took you to grow that magical beard of yours and if it took more patience to grow that beard or cultivate cannabis um definitely cultivate cannabis yeah yeah no no this happens just naturally yeah Uh, but cannabis does Let's grow naturally, but to make the finest, you have to really give it the best of everything. Well, see, when I was when I was really young as a teenager, I had a very heavy beard. So I started shaving when I was 12 years old. Oh, right. Geez. And so by the time I was in high school, I would shave in the morning to go to school. And if I want, had a date that night, I'd have to shave a second time because in those days you weren't allowed to stubble. You couldn't mm-hmm. allow the stubble like you have or that thing. It just was not not allowed. Right. So then, um, so I did that all through college. And then uh, finally, I was at the University of Wisconsin and I was starting my anti-war political activism, right? And so I started to grow a beard because that's what uh, political activists did. And, you know, so I was hanging out with beatniks and so on like that. So I started to grow the beard. And then, then I got busted for demonstrating on election day against the war in Vietnam. And so uh, at that point, I decided, well, maybe if I shave my beard, they won't send me to jail, right? So uh, I shaved my beard. And then as soon as that whole thing was done, they kind of dropped the case or whatever it was. And uh, as soon as that happened, uh, I started growing a beard again. But then I just had a mustache. For a long time, I had this amazing (laughs) handlebar mustache, right, that with going out like this, right? And uh, and then at a certain point, I uh, I was I was working at KQED TV, and then I, I dropped out and uh, started doing these light shows, and that's when I so that was basically I've had a beard since nineteen sixty-eight uh, or seventy yeah. sixty-eight yeah. probably. I've that had a beard, awesome. and I've trimmed it many times, but now I haven't trimmed it since uh a long time probably since 1998 i haven't trimmed it right that is so it just kind of stays more 
Same, same length. Tell them what your fertilizer is. Oh, yeah. And I, I, people ask me, how do you grow such a good beard? And I say, well, it's the right fertilizer. And the right fertilizer is THC, yeah. cannabis. <laughs> That is awesome. That is an amazing uh, explanation of that magical beard. So thank you for sharing that story. And the last thing that we're going to do to wrap up this amazing episode, because you guys have dropped knowledge after knowledge and just insight after insight. And I think the viewers and listeners are really going to love and enjoy this wholeheartedly and thoroughly. For those of you who don't know Nikki Lestretto and Swami Chaitanya, and this is your first time ever listening to them, they have an amazing grow series coming out on Homegrown Cannabis Co.'s YouTube channel that's going to be an in-depth grow series on how to grow outdoors. And it is just seriously amazing. It captures Matt Hamer or Nate Hammer 420, as you guys know him, really captured the true essence of these two beautiful souls that are on our podcast today. And without further ado, I would like each one of you to give the audience one piece of advice, whether it's for life, whether it's for themselves, or whether it's for cultivating that you've picked up over the many years of your journey across this wonderful journey we call life. Okay, one bit. Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is have no fear whether it's about anything and realize that cannabis is a good thing and it's not something for us to ever be afraid of and to ever have to explain to anybody why why anything is wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it. It's a medicine, it's good for us and it always has been. So just um, have no fear, meditate on that for a while. It applies to absolutely everything you do. And uh, well, there, there are a lot of cliches that sort of pop into my mind, you know, do what you love and love what you do. But what happens when you sort of, and and the love, when you, when you say love, it's not like, oh, you're so cute. Oh, you're so good, good, good. No, loving that way is just totally focusing your energy on what you're doing with no distractions. There's just this total pure channel of energy between you and what you're doing. And that actually is love. Right, because you're giving all your energy and your total focus onto a plan, onto a person, onto a craft you're doing, onto whatever job you're doing, and then you get the energy back. Right, and that's the that's the closed loop, like we say in regenerative agriculture. You want closed loops. Well, a closed loop is you give the energy in and you get it back, and that's and it's a cycle that way. So the more focus and the more you are into the into what you're doing, the more what you're doing gives back to you and reinforces it. And he always also likes to say smoke Yeah. (laughs) Smoke the last joint. (laughs) I think I like that last that last piece of advice was awesome. (laughs) There's always another one on the way. Yes. Yes. Right. There's always another on the way. So if you're hoarding that last one, it kind of puts up a block and okay, but smoke that last one because the next one is actually on its way. That's awesome. Wonderful pieces of advice from Nikki Lestretto and Swami Chaitanya. I really appreciate you two coming onto the show. I mean, it's seriously amazing, and I couldn't agree more. Um, fear really does control everyone and prevent people from going out and actually experiencing life. So I love that, that um, you really think people shouldn't, um, you know, don't let fear control you. And I love that you say love what you do, because that is so true. It's not about that cuddly cuteness. It's about that fiery drive, that passion inside that makes you want 
to just get up every day and put 110% into what you're doing. So I, I couldn't agree more with the, the two of you. And I, I absolutely love the Grow series so far. And today, um, as we're filming this episode, we are just released, I believe, the episode two on YouTube. So for all those watching and listening, go support, go show Nikki and Swami how much you guys love their outdoor knowledge and all their um, personality and just joy they bring to the cannabis community. And also definitely check out um, their personal Instagram and pages, which I'm going to let you guys shout yourselves out here in a sec, um, where they post uh, Emerald Cup pictures and various pictures from their farm. So is it, um, I believe it is Swami Select on Instagram, right? Yes. So as Instagram and Facebook, it would be Swami Select. And the website, which just got updated, is www.swamiselect.com. Nice and easy. Yeah. Awesome. And, uh, and thank you for your enthusiasm and yeah, your joy. Thanks, and, and you're just thrilled to be part of this all this. And it's infectious. So thanks very much for inviting us on. And we just love to, to talk. <laughs> yeah, thanks yeah, so much, absolutely. Yeah, you guys, it's been a wonderful joy meeting you guys and getting to talk to you. And, um, you know, I can't, I look forward to the future conversations. I'm sure we'll have more in the future and I'm sure we'll, we'll be doing bigger and better things with Homegrown Cannabis Co. Cause you guys are a cult, one of our cultivars with character, which for those listening, if you want to snag any seeds that these two wonderful human beings have put out on Homegrown Cannabis Co. You can definitely check out the cultivars with character section at www.homegrowncannabisco.com. And that's also where you can browse pretty much all the content that we put out with Nikki and Swami and you guys can go check out the YouTube and do all that fun stuff. Be sure to follow this uh, platform, whatever you're listening from and like so that we know that you enjoyed this episode. Big round of applause for Nikki and Swami. And without further ado, everyone, thanks for tuning in. I'm Chronic from the Cannabis Chronicles on Instagram and YouTube. Thanks for listening to the Homegrown Podcast. I'll be back every Wednesday with a new show. Make sure to tune in. Much love, happy growing, and peace. Thanks, Chronic, for another amazing podcast. And thank you, home growers, for listening. Remember to like, follow, and give the podcast a five-star rating. Remember to use code LEMONS, that's L-E-M-O-N-S, over at homegrowncannabisco.com to pick up your free lemon drizzle auto seeds with anything you buy. Happy growing and see you in the garden.